Hey, this is Joe Bakmutsky, and welcome to Simplify Cancer Podcast. Yes, it's hard to put up with cancer, but isn't it also true that you've had to put up with challenges before? Isn't it true that you've had to come up against problems, against pressure, you had to deal with uncertainty? So is there anything that's helped you then? Something that maybe made things easier? Something that you could perhaps apply to your life right now? Because leveraging your own experience is just not something that you really think about. It just doesn't occur to you, or at least to me, yet it makes so much sense. After all, no one knows you like you know yourself, right? And this is just one cool strategy that you're going to hear about today. You're going to hear from Lisa, and Lisa is awesome. She's a psychologist at Flinders University here in Adelaide, and she has developed this fantastic online program called Finding My Way that helps folks like you and me to deal with cancer physically and mentally. So let's find out more. So look, it's a real pleasure to meet you here online. And Lisa, I kind of wanted to start off with, you obviously have seen a lot of folks who struggle with the, the mental side of cancer. And I guess some things I'm guessing sort of come up over and over again. So what are some of the commonalities that you see? Yeah, well, there's quite a few um, commonalities, regardless of what sort of cancer type people have or whether it's advanced or early stage cancers. There's lots of similarities in terms of the initial emotional impact. Um, you know, there's the initial shock of the diagnosis. Um, I see a lot of people struggling with guilt um, about what they're putting their family through. Also, a lot of just a lot of distress. Um, it might not necessarily be at the level where we'd say it's clinically significant depression or a depressive episode, but it's certainly impacting on their ability to um, enjoy their life and do their normal activities. Also, things like a lot of worry and fear um, during treatment about you know how the treatment's going, whether it's working, uncertainty about how the test results are going to be going as they go through. Um, so there's lots of those are the kind of common you know. Worry, fear, anxiety, distress, um, and sadness and depression can be really prevalent as well. We know that when people are going through treatment, depression is the most commonly diagnosed problem for people where they actually have, have lost sort of interest and pleasure in their, their normal activities and they're feeling consistently down and sad and depressed during the day as well. So they're kind of some of the most common hurdles that we see. But then on top of that, there's also things like um, a lot of people struggle with body image changes. Um, if they're going through things like chemotherapy, then their body image can really quite drastically change a lot of hair loss, not just on their head, but whole body hair loss. Yeah, also for people who've had surgery um, or it might have, you know, for example, if it's bowel cancer, they might have a stoma for the first time where they yeah, it's just there's a lot to adapt to. So I think that's the biggest thing, um, summarizing all of that into one sentence. It's it's a, a huge adjustment. So we would tend to sort of say that these are People having difficulties coping when they're adjusting um, because they've never had to adjust to anything on this scale before. Yeah, absolutely, Lisa. Um, so you, you kind of mentioned uh, clinically significant. So when we're talking about you know depression or anxiety, so clinically significant does that mean that it's kind of similar to uh, depression you, you'd get outside of cancer? Yeah, yeah. So I think that's um, a really good point to make that depression in cancer is is the same as depression in, in the general community in terms of how it looks. Um, it can be a bit difficult to tease apart sometimes because the side effects of the cancer treatment can overlap so much with the common symptoms of depression. So things like feeling really fatigued um, can be, that's often a side effect of, of your treatment, obviously, and it's also a, a, one of the core symptoms of depression. So what we tend to look at more is about 
the loss of interest and pleasure rather than um, whether people are able to do activities because of fatigue. But yeah, when we're talking about whether it's clinically significant, we're, we're talking about whether it's at that level where there are two key criteria, whether it's at the level of severity that it's actually affecting people's enjoyment of life, that they're feeling so down that they're just stressed all the time and it's just yeah, really impacting their joy for life. And the other one would be if it's impacting on their, their functioning, their ability to do their normal activities. So if their depression or their distress or their anxiety is at the point where they're having trouble doing their normal parenting roles or getting themselves to work. Um, and again, this can be a bit difficult to tease out because sometimes some of these roles are affected by the cancer treatment. But um, yeah, it is at that point where it's actually having that knock-on effect to other areas of their life. Whereas I think for people who everyone will have some level of distress, you know, when they're, they're diagnosed with cancer, um, but a lot of people um, will find that they're able to, with support and with time, still be able to maintain a certain level of enjoyment of life and ability to do their normal roles. So yeah, really, what differentiates that clinical level is when it's actually yeah, impeding their ability to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, Lisa, I, one thing that I guess most of us don't realize that is that we need help on psychological level because you don't really think about it. It's cancer and like it's supposed to be hard, right? Yeah. Like it, it doesn't occur to people to ask for help. Yeah. What do you yeah. think about that? Yeah, well, I think my response to that is just because it's supposed to be hard doesn't mean that you have to do it alone or that it can't be done without help. So a problem, you know, that classical saying, a problem shared is a problem halved. So I think that um, recognizing that just because this is a hard chapter in your life doesn't mean that it has to be done on your own um, and that it's, it has to be this hard. Like there are always ways of making things easier. And if you think about other areas of life um, where people go through traumatic experiences, you would expect to find those hard too, but you would also expect that perhaps it's appropriate to go out and, and get some strategies on board to help make it a little bit easier. So, yeah, definitely it's supposed to be hard, but it doesn't mean that it's not amenable to uh, change with and, and to make things a little, the road a little bit smoother and easier with a bit of support around you. Yeah, absolutely, uh, Lisa. That makes so much sense. And speaking speaking of strategies to deal with it, like in terms of you know self management and self help, what can you do yourself as a person who's going through cancer, maybe as a patient or as a cancer survivor? What what are some of the approaches that you can do to kind of get through it in a better way? Okay, um, so there's a couple of things. Like first of all, is don't be afraid to reach out and use the resources that are actually out there that are available to you. So some of them are um, like you know the Cancer Council, um, all the different cancer councils around Australia. They've got some great resources on their website. Some of them are on things like managing your emotions, coping with cancer. There's also some print-based resources out there as well. Um, so a lot of these ones for the cancer cancer you can print off as well. Um, depending on what sorts of cancer, types of cancer you've got, then a lot of those websites like the National Breast Cancer Foundation or um, the Prostate Cancer Foundation, they, they might have some resources as well and really useful strategies for getting started. On top of that, though, um, from the psychological point of view from where I've come from, a lot of the work I do is actually on self-management. So we've ended up developing some web-based resources ourselves to help support people that are now freely available to the cancer community too that will kind of guide you through the most commonly experienced issues and then step through as well on support strategies and, and, and tools and things that you can do for yourself to help you manage. So there's some of the, the resources that you can use. But just as general advice, um, I think that if there's one general rule of thumb I tend to tell people is that people often make the mistake of assuming that when they're feeling crap, they kind of will make that, that statement. Oh, once I start feeling better, whether it's feeling better physically or whether it's 
feeling better emotionally. Once I feel better, then I'll start doing more things. I'll start going out and seeing my friends again. I'll start um, going back to the gym. I'll start doing a little bit of, you know, more activity in terms of going to work or, you know, so they, they kind of have this, I'll wait until I feel better before I start doing more. Um, but what we actually know from all the, the research out there is that for both physical well-being as well as for emotional well-being, you actually need to reverse that. You need to start doing a little bit more, just a little bit more all the time, over time. So not heat straight away, but you need to do a little bit more in order to feel better. So, yeah, don't wait to feel better before you do more. You need to do more in order to feel better. Oh, that's a fantastic point, Lisa. I love it. Yes, that makes so much sense that, you know, you really have to start the change and keep going, not wait until a better time. Because as we know, as with everything in life, there's never going to be, you know, a perfect time to do anything. There's never going to be a great, a perfect time to change a job. There's never going to be a perfect time to start a family. There's never going to be a, a perfect time to get a great life despite cancer. You have to kind of start with it now and make changes now. Exactly. Yeah. And especially for, I think, you know, when you're struggling emotionally, that can, it can be a huge barrier because you sort of think I'm lousy company. I'm, I'm feeling so woeful. I, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to drag people down. So it can be really hard to kind of get past that and go, I'm going to put myself out there anyway. But like everything, the first time is always the hardest. And then it ends up being a little bit like dominoes that, you know, once you flick that first domino down and get a little bit of um, activity happening and do a little bit more, um, it ends up being a lot easier to then keep building momentum from that um, and it becomes less scary to do more as you go. So. Cool. Yeah, building momentum. Love it. That makes so much sense. And, you know, like in terms of getting uh, dealing with sort of everyday stress around anxiety, so how do you actually, like you make you start to make all these changes, how do you know that you're making progress? How do you know that you are getting better? How do you know yeah. that you're getting uh, a better, you know, uh, grip on kind of managing the sad things. Yeah, so I guess um, coming back to you know how you asked me earlier about what clinically significant distress looks like, and I know it's such a clinical term, sorry. Um, but the two things that I sort of said there are the indicators that things are a problem are also going to be the two things that are an indicator that you might be making improvements. So those are, you know, if you feel like you're able to do those activities without them causing quite so much um, distress or worry, then that's one sign. So you're doing a little bit more gradually. Um, and then the second is that, how distressed you're feeling while you're doing more is starting to drop as well. So it's those two things. The level of distress, the severity is starting to drop, and also the level of activity is going up and, and your ability to do your normal activities is starting to improve. But I think the key thing is, is that people have the tendency to either compare back to what they used to be like before cancer, and that's their benchmark, and they sort of keep striving for that and, and think, oh, I'm not there yet. I'm, I'm not back to normal. Um, I'm still really struggling. I'm not, I'm not me again until I get to back to this level. Or they focus so far on how far they've yet got to go. So they're kind of comparing back to what they used to be as well as projecting really far forward and how far they've got to go. But they're not really tracking, okay, compared to one week ago or two weeks ago, what am I doing now that I wasn't able to do one week or two weeks ago? And really start to celebrate those small wins as you go rather than thinking on how far you still have yet to go. Yeah, that's fantastic, Lisa, because it's all about, yeah, it's all about untangling like past, present and future. Because if you start comparing yourself to whatever you did before, this, yeah. uh, like years ago, or maybe things, but that way you think you should be just in yes. general, um, 
you know, maybe projected in some into some imaginary future that doesn't even exist yet. Yeah. And it's all about kind of dealing with the present, right? Exactly. And can I just catch you there as well? Because that's something I spend a lot of time dealing with is the shoulds. Like there are people are so good at shooting themselves during cancer. And part of it is that the media is really great at putting this image <laughs> about what the cancer patient and cancer survivor should look like. And um, people think that unless they actually uh, – are that image or are living with their cancer in that way that they're they're not coping. So they end up having this um, putting up this certain image of themselves about how they should be coping up on a pedestal and then it ends up creating even more distress for themselves when they feel like they're not attaining that goal. So and one of the examples that we get a lot of is that a lot of both the media, the general community out there, they have they project this um, general idea of just be positive. If you if you're positive, you'll beat the cancer. You'll cope better. You'll you know so just think positive. Um, and often when people are feeling crap physically, excuse my technical language there, but <laughs> when you're feeling really unwell physically and emotionally, um, mentally, cognitively, everything, every aspect is affected. Being told that you have to be positive is just yet another should that you're adding to that mix. Um, and thinking think completely unattainable and then you end up with this worry on top of that that oh gosh if I'm not thinking positive I'm going to have worse cancer outcomes and the truth of the matter is there's no evidence there's no research evidence that's been extensively looked at that suggests that there's a relationship between thinking positively and survival it's just it's not there that's a great point and I, and I propose a new uh, term we can call it significantly crap <laughs> that's right we've coined we've coined the clinical term significantly crap <laughs> 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 so, Lisa, so like yes, yeah, so yeah, you, you're exactly right. You, it's you don't want to as a, as a cancer patient or as a survivor, you don't want to live up to these you know hyped up images you see on TV of people um, you know uh, conquering cancer and living despite all odds and running around with a smile on your face because yeah, sometimes you are just down and it's and, and it's crap and you don't know what to do with yourself. So yes. what, what, what do you think are some of the like a practical ways to kind of get things under control? We're not talking about just positivity, although the positive helps, but just get, getting things under control where you feel you're kind of more in charge of what's happening in charge of your life. Yeah, yeah. So if you're feeling really down and it's at, almost at the point where you're having trouble getting out of bed in the mornings, I, I do work with people that are at that level where um, you know, getting themselves out of bed at the morning in the morning is the win. You know what I was saying? Let's celebrate the small win. Actually, about saying, okay, let's let's start setting a regular alarm. <laughs> Put that alarm out of your reach, and then start the day with you know jumping straight into the shower. And you know, they are literally it can be that level of kind of going, okay, so you've started the day, you've got it underway, you've managed to get yourself out of bed at that same time. You've done that two days in a row. Fantastic. So it's about really starting with where you're at rather than trying to jump ahead to where you think you should be. There's the shoulds again. But yeah, just start with where you're at and, and work out what's the next step, what's the first win, what's that first domino that you can knock over to get things started. And it might also be um, about going linking in with your GP or your um, a member of your medical treatment team at wherever you're receiving your cancer treatment from and really linking in with them and saying, okay, I think if I'm really struggling, there, there is a well for antidepressants as well. You know, don't be afraid of actually getting all the resources on board because we'll often tend to say that, you know, when you're really struggling with distress and depression, it's like being at the bottom of a well. And, um, you know, if you imagine you're at the bottom of the well and there's a ladder on the side of, of that well, but it's out of reach, the role of the antidepressant is to put you on the ladder. It just it gives you that first step. And then from there on in, it's your own efforts that get you out of the well. 
doesn't mean you have to be on them forever, but at the same time, there's definitely a role for antidepressants for people who are really struggling, even getting those first early wins on the board. Yeah, so antidepressants can really kind of help someone to make that step forward. Is that right? And you can kind of yeah. stop that when, you know, the, the right time comes. That's right. It's, it's all about, um, I guess one way of thinking about it is that for some people, even they don't have the capacity when they're feeling so low to, to even focus and concentrate and work out there. It's, it's so overwhelming to even think, what's one thing I can do for myself? Whereas once you can get those antidepressants on board, it might just create a little bit more of a, a foundation to start building on. So that's sort of the role of them. They're not happy pills. They don't magically fix everything, but they just create a little bit more stability so that you can build upon it and work and put the hard yards in yourself to then be able to create a, a good, stable framework for keeping yourself well ongoing. Cool. That's great to know, Lisa. And uh, the other thing I wanted to talk to you was you know, the, the fact that cancer can be a real test for friendships, for yeah. relationships. Cause yeah. well, um, you know, from the perspective of someone who, who had cancer, you know, you don't want to look weak, but at the same time, like you mentioned, you don't want to also put pressure on, on, on people by talking about your problems all the time. And also from the, like, if you're a friend or a partner, like you also don't want to say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing. So. It's, it's confusing. <laughs> so what sort of advice do we have on, on that front? Yeah, I mean, I hear that a lot. There's a common statement that I tend to hear about, you know, that when people are going through cancer treatment, that they find out who their true friends are um, yeah. and that they can kind of cut out the dead wood or the driftwood or, um, and that they're really surprised that um, some people who may not have been close friends before they were diagnosed with cancer, they really step into the foreground or other people who they assumed would be their key support people are the ones that end up stepping into the background and fading away and they may not even hear from them again um, and that can be incredibly hurtful, understandably. And the thing I would say, it's really hard when you're going through this and you have a level of, uh, you know, you need your support group around you is to, where possible, be kind. And um, I think what people have to recognize is that cancer activates all sorts of beliefs and fears for everyone. And it really does raise awareness of mortality, um, not just in the person going through the cancer, but for everyone. You know, when you hear that, you never know what someone else's backstory is. Even for friends you know really well, you don't know, you know, maybe they lost someone to cancer they've never actually disclosed. And, and hearing that your diagnosis has brought all of that back up and re-triggered them. So you don't actually know what someone is going through themselves and there might be a reason why they haven't been able, you know, legitimately able to be there for you. And even for those that don't have that backstory, you know, cancer is scary. It is scary. And as you said, they may not know how to say the right thing. And then the more time that passes before they've actually come and said something to you, the harder it is to then kind of go, oh my gosh, now it's been one month since and I should have I should have um, been in contact by now. Oh, it's been two months now. Oh goodness, I'm being a terrible friend. And that ends up becoming the barrier. The fact they haven't actually been in contact becomes it becomes more and more challenging for them so in terms of how to overcome that so two things one is you know where possible try not to even though it's hurtful try not to personalize and think it's about you it's actually about what's going on for that other person as to why they haven't reached out um, and second thing is i think it's about if you are the support person and you want to know what's a useful starting point and you don't know what to say that's actually the starting point and saying i'm so sorry i'm you know, that you're going through this and I'm, I want to be there for you, but I'm finding this really hard. I don't know what to say and I'm worried I'm going to say the wrong thing. And then you might actually use that as the, the starting point saying, what are things that will be helpful for you as the person going through cancer? What do you need? What can I do to support you? So instead of fearing that you're going to say the wrong thing, use that as your platform, you know, use that as your opening statement. I'm, I wish I knew what I could say right now and I wish I knew what I could do. Can you help me? What would you like from me while we go through this together? 
Yeah, that's great advice, Lisa, because that, that's kind of you being proactive and you're taking the first step and you're saying it's okay to, to say whatever. Yeah, that's right. And I think most people would say they would far rather someone say not quite the right thing or even the wrong thing, but they're actually there and present than, um, than someone's fear of saying the wrong thing actually make, make them completely absent from, from your life while you're going through a traumatic time. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And also like, uh, kind of on the similar sort of subject, when it comes to caregivers and, you know, the partners or, or parents or children of someone with cancer, because they often have to deal with a lot, right? They have to know, mm. sometimes not only just support the person who's going through cancer, but they kind of have to go on with their daily life. So if it's stressful for them, like, what can you do as a caregiver to help the person who's going through cancer or building a life after cancer or maybe even helping yourself. Yeah, and I think that's a really important point because we actually know from the research that caregivers and loved ones have the same level, if not higher levels of distress as the person that's going through cancer. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah, and but they don't have nearly the same level of support around them because the focus is on the person with cancer. So um, it is actually about recognizing and saying it's okay for me to be struggling right now. When I work with people with cancer, I'm always saying, you know, cancer is actually a family illness. It's um, It might be one person that's got the cancer in their body, but it's affecting everyone in that household. It's affecting everyone under the roof. So just because you don't have, carry the cancer in your body doesn't mean that it's not affecting you in just as many ways as the person who's going through it. It's about, you know, really trying to normalize and validate that, that it's actually a struggle for everyone, whether it's children, whether it's um, young children, adult children, as well as partners, um, you know, whoever's providing that caregiving role, and often it's spread across everyone in that family unit, um, they will actually need some resources around them too. And, you know, if you are a caregiver, don't be afraid. Like a lot of the time, um, the, if there's a psychologist or a mental health clinician attached to wherever the your, your loved one is receiving their treatment, they will generally make those same services available to the, the loved ones as well. It's not just necessarily for the person with cancer. And also there are groups like there's a the look up the website Carers Australia. They often have resources and strategies as well listed there. Um, so, yeah, it's a good starting point too. Cool. Okay. Thank you, Lisa. So uh, speaking of resources and, and uh, strategies, you know that I love finding my way because it's, it's such a great tool. And I, f- I first thought about it from Bogda and it really sounds like it's been a lot of years in the making. Sounds like your, your life's work. And I know, I think it started as a self-help manual. Is that right? That's right. So this is now a 13 year journey um, for me. So it's wow. been, as you as you say, it has been my life's work. So I, I started in this area as a new PhD student and, you know, it was really aware that while we've been talking about, you know, accessing supports for a lot of people, there are legitimate reasons why they can't, you know, access face-to-face support, um, whether that's with a psychologist, a psychiatrist, a social worker, you know, any mental health clinician. Um, you know, there are many people who geography in Australia gets in the way. You know, you can't, there's not always a, a handy psychologist that knows about cancer around the corner. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, and for people who live rurally or remotely, that's a real challenge. Um, so that's for that group of people. Um, there's also, you know, as much as we're trying to make headway with this, there is still a stigma associated with going and seeing um, a mental health clinician. So it's that can be another thing. And, and there's a lot of um, people out there who, even if they're not concerned about stigma or geography, they just have a personal preference. They'd rather deal with this on their own, in their own time, in their own space, um, and when they're ready and, and do it a bit at a time that way. They don't, they're not really interested in seeing a psychologist for it. So there's a whole heap of reasons why we ended up going down this, okay, well, they're still 
they don't want to access traditional services, but at the same time, they're still struggling and they're still, um, we know that their medical outcomes as well as their psychological outcomes will be worse if they don't tackle this. And that's something I don't think I made clear earlier about why it's so pivotal to do this, that um, outcomes both medical as well as psychological are worse if you don't get in and, and treat that distress. So we went, okay, we need to come up with an, a new way, a new avenue of trying to um, help people and, and get these same tools that we'd be providing with them with if we were working with them face-to-face. We need to get these tools on board in a different way. Yeah, we started with it with my PhD at um, doing that via a manual uh, in a self-help book just with women with early-stage breast cancer to start with, and we found that that was really effective in, in helping reduce distress and improving coping and quality of life. So uh, we then, I think from there, was ongoing research have adapted it into an online program for all types of early stage cancer so that's cancer being treated with the intention of curing it and now we're at the point where we know that that's been really helpful and that's the one that's now freely available that anyone can access Um, and now we're at the point of trying to adapt that for uh, women with advanced or incurable breast cancer with the aim longer term of again making it um, extending out to other types of cancer as well as advanced cancer. Yeah, fantastically. So, Lalit, so because I guess where I've kind of seen the commonality here is that a lot of the challenges that people go through are universal, whether whatever the type of cancer. Is that right? That's exactly right. So, yeah, we often tend to you'll find this in a lot of research, and it's one of the criticisms at times that you'll often start with with breast cancer to, to try things for the first time because you know women with breast cancer are, are pretty good at reaching out and making use of resources when they're made available. And there's also a lot of them, you know, it's the most common uh, cancer that occurs for females. So we'll, we'll tend to often trial things for the first time there to see if it's, if it works there, then hopefully we might be able to actually extend it out and make it work for other types of cancer, people with other types of cancer. But yeah, you're exactly right. Like, you know, we, and we have found that it doesn't matter what, what type of cancer you have, that some of those, especially in terms of the psychological and emotional issues, it can, there is, there are enough commonalities across, um, and universal experiences across the different types of cancer that it's better to kind of create a platform for everyone and then you can you know add additional resources to make them cancer specific um, depending on what your unique cancer type is and, and, and some of the more particular needs that arise there. Fantastic Lisa. So how does uh, Finding My Way, how does it work? Yep so Finding My Way it's a six module or six week program so as I said it covers the most commonly experienced issues. We developed this in consultation with people with cancer so that we knew upfront what the issues were. As you probably guessed, I've worked with people with cancer for a long time too, so you bring in that kind of knowledge as well. So um, the the six modules start with it's um, on what are the issues that come up straight after diagnosis and communicating with members of your medical team and making decisions about your treatments. So that's sort of that initial, yep, we've just been diagnosed, how do we navigate this? So that's the first module. And then modules two, three, four, and five are all the most common issues that happen while you're going through your medical treatment. Um, so they're things like managing your physical symptoms, things like pain, nausea, fatigue. Um, even though they are you know, physical symptoms, we know there's a really strong um, relationship between how you're going emotionally um, and how and, and exacerbating those physical symptoms. So sometimes the strategies you use, there is a good solid evidence base for um, reducing pain symptoms purely through using some psychological strategies, for example. So that's where we come with with that second module. And then the third module is on managing emotional distress. So yeah, yeah, some of the issues that we talked about earlier about anger and anxiety and depression and fear and worry, um, we give some tools and strategies on managing those. Um, And then the fourth module is on managing things like body image um, concerns and changes to the way you see yourself with your identity, even though people might 
have always grumbled about having to do the school drop-offs and being the taxi driver to their kids. When they're going through treatment, they might actually suddenly feel upset that they're no longer able to do those roles because of feeling so fatigued and whatnot. So we provide strategies for managing those sorts of issues. Um, and then the, the fifth module is really on managing those changes to the social support network that we were talking about and the impact on partners and impact on children as well. So those topics that we mentioned earlier. And then the sixth and final week and module is actually about, you know, what to expect as you transition out of your treatment and into kind of what we call the survivorship period and what are some of the unique challenges that might happen in that stage and things like, you know, managing the fear of, that the cancer might come back. Um, that's a really commonly raised one that we hear about. Um, and, and tools to help people manage that as they go through. Fantastic. So what's your favorite technique or strategy that out of finding my way? Oh, that's like asking me to choose my favorite child. <laughs> <laughs> they're all they're all important. <laughs> but there's always one. There's always one you love the most. Oh no, there's not. No. <laughs> You're not catching me out. <laughs> I think I think that it's, it really speaks importance that to get through cancer treatment, you really need to tackle all of these things. That if it's a bit like a, a chair, a stool. You know, imagine a three-legged um, stool. As soon as one of them is actually starting to get a bit wonky, the whole stool becomes unstable. So you do need to be trying to look after your emotional, your physical, your social um, well-being all together while you're going through treatment, and you will get better medical outcomes because of it. We know that people can stick to their treatment better. They stick to their, um, they attend all their appointments when they're meant to. Um, and they have less severe side effects when they're going through it if they actually can get some of these strategies on board. Cool, but I'm still going to put you on the spot and try to choose one. <laughs> the one module out of all of them? Yep. Uh, see, I think there's two. I think there's two. Can I, can I narrow it down to two? Perfect. Let's do it. All right. Out of the two, I would say if you can get the, the second module on managing your physical symptoms and, and strategies on board to help to reduce the severity of those, and then the module three on managing the emotional distress. I think if you had to start with two, those would be the two critical ones to start with and the rest will support and build on that. Okay, perfect. So listen, if someone wanted to to, to find uh, to find Finding My Way, so what, what would you do? Yep, you just have to go to the website uh, and it's findingmyway.org.au. So Finding My Way is all one word, um, .org.au. You can also find it from the Cancer Council and SA on their website. There's a link to it. But I think the most direct way is just to go straight to findingmyway.org.au. Oh, what a fantastic resource and thank you so much for your time, Lisa. Thank you. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> hey, this is Joe Bakmutsky and thanks so much for listening. Listen, I just want to take a moment to really thank you for your time because I know that it's precious, but also I want to congratulate you. I really want to congratulate you on listening to this podcast because as we both know, cancer is incredibly hard to deal with and you don't want to go it alone. And you want all the support and all the advice that you can get to, to stay on top of it, to stay on top of your worries during cancer. So I, I want to tell you about the tools that I have available on my website on simplifycancer.com that can really help you. So all of these tools are available under the tools menu on simplifycancer.com. So tool number one, that's the first visit oncologist checklist. So if the word oncologist bothers you, like I, I know it really freaked me out. If you are worried about your first appointment, as, as again, as we all are, then this can really help you with some key questions that you want to ask. The key thing, of course, is having a list like this means that you won't forget 
something important, which is easy enough to do when, when you've got a million things going through your head. Plus, it's a handy PDF, so it's easy to print and write down all the answers so you don't forget. So then there is the outcome map. Like this is a really simple but really powerful tool that I have developed to help you deal with worries about something specific, something that's bothering you right now. So maybe you're waiting for your test results and your mind's off running in a million different directions. Or maybe you've got an ache or pain and you don't know what it is. Like, is it cancer? Is that a side effect from treatment? Or maybe is that something else altogether? So it will kind of help you to put it all together so you can, you can get a bird's eye view and decide how to best deal with it. Number three is mastering your emotions during cancer. Now, this is a walk through all the stages that you go through as a patient and as a caregiver through anger and through guilt and fear and how you can address your needs, your emotional needs on every level during cancer. Like it came about after many discussions that I had with my friend and my colleague. Her name is Jill. Her husband had prostate cancer, so uh, so he, she has this kind of caregiver's perspective. And we both like talked about how there are so many times um, when you go through cancer when you kind of just feel alone and you're struggling. You're on this roller coaster of emotions, and it's kind of full on and it's hard to deal with. So there, there's an audio version that comes along with it and there's a link to download the MP3 if that's what you want or you can just listen to it online and you know and just uh, listen along with the PDF. So another one is testicular cancer support kit. This has a one page summary of what the testicular cancer journey looks like that you can check out for yourself or share with your family or friends. Like it's got a helicopter view of all the symptoms and treatments and who's involved and what happens when. And it's really great one kind of page view of like what happens during testicular cancer. Plus, the kit also includes like ready-to-go email templates for your family, friends, and your workmates, so you can kind of share what's what's happened. Maybe you want to break the news on cancer, and you can, don't want to think about and wreck your brain on what to write. So you can just copy and paste. You can tweak it a little bit so to suit your personality, and you're good to go. And I've also done the same thing for prostate cancer. So check out the prostate cancer support kit. Again, it's showing all the treatment options and stages on one page. So you can walk someone through it like someone from your family or a friend. And they know what to expect and how it all happens. And of course, when you sign up for any of my tools, we just talked about you also get an email from me when, when there's a new episode that's kind of relevant to you right now and other news from the world of simplified cancer and listen i'm, I'm going to keep on asking you about how i'm doing here i mean are you getting what, what you're looking for was there something in particular that that really made sense to you or is there a question that you want to ask or maybe there's there's just something that you you want to get off your chest like please i need to know just reply to any of my emails or send me an email right now. My email is joe at simplifycancer.com. So that's J-O-E at simplifycancer.com. And send me an email whenever you've got anything on your mind. So again, I want to thank you for listening. Till next time. 